You're listening to Agency Dealmasters, brought to you by Bridge. This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Rob Gold is the UK CEO of Merkle B2B, only one of the biggest B2B agencies in the world. Part of the Dentsu network, Merkle B2B are helping to reshape B2B marketing for some of the biggest brands around. You may have heard of Google, HP, Cisco, Dell, Microsoft, just go down the list of the biggest brands around. We talk about everything from the priorities of the modern CMO today, how they've brought together award-winning agencies in their own right, like Gyro and, and then B2B International, how he leads virtual hybrid teams. We talk about how they are banking on their core service offerings like media and creative while still evolving into things like data, tech, and e-commerce. It's it's such a really exciting uh, time to be in B2B right now. That's why this is just such a fascinating conversation. And Rob does a great job of painting a picture of what the future looks like uh, and why we should all be so excited to, to work in this space. If you're interested in anything to do with B2B marketing, then this is the conversation for you. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Rob Gold. My name is Nathan Anibaba and this is Agency Dealmasters. Agency Dealmasters is a series of conversations with world-class agency leaders building great agency businesses. I believe everyone belongs in the growth journey and this show is dedicated to the stories and the lessons of ambitious agency builders of all types by examining their history, competitive advantage, and what makes them tick. Now, Let's jump in. Rob Gold is the UK CEO of Merkle B2B Group. They deliver leading edge, data-driven, tech-enabled and idea-led B2B solutions for their clients. Their end-to-end solutions cover brand building, customer acquisition, customer retention and customer loyalty. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Rob Gold, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So thank you. Let's start at the beginning of your career because I understand that you have your girlfriend, now wife. Uh, she's responsible for kind of where you are in your career today. Yeah, it's a funny story. So I, I started my career at BMW in marketing. So I was at university. I did a, a placement year, uh, went back to university and I got a job working for BMW. So I was in marketing and sort of dealer marketing based in London. And um, I absolutely loved it. It was, it was really great. But the thing that I, I think I loved even more was we worked with agencies. And I can remember agencies coming in to, um, to meet us. And I always thought their energy was infectious and the sort of can-do attitude. And what's, for, especially for a young marketeer, sort of, there seems to be no guardrails. Agencies seem to say they could do things and they were energetic. And I, and I loved the idea of it. But I was quite happy doing what I was doing. Now, um, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, is a graphic designer. She worked for an agency. and She was always quite keen for me to investigate it. And um, I didn't do anything about it until one day I got an email in my inbox um, from uh, a, a recruiter at an agency called Zenith saying, thanks for your application, Rob. We'd love you to come in for an interview. <laughs> so, 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 so it turns out that Joe was actually the person who applied for a job for me. And then rock and roll a bit forward. And I, and I was working... Um, working for an agency and I sort of never looked back. So that, that's how I got into, I guess, advertising and marketing and, and has hopefully led me in part to where I am today. Does she remind you of it 
regularly. Yeah, yeah, quite regularly, actually. <laughs> Forever in debt. <laughs> yeah. So so what have been the most formative experiences today in, in your career? Maybe just take us through the, the main milestones that have gotten you to where you are today, UK CEO of Micro B2B. Well, I think there are some foundational things that have happened in my career that have made a sort of significant difference, I think, in um, uh, in my career path. So first of all, whether it's a milestone or whether it's just something that I now firmly believe in, I've always had um, fantastic management in my in my career. And when I, I don't mean like general management, I mean individuals. So my first boss was a chap called Richard Shotton. And then after Richard, I, I, sort of, I worked under a guy called Mark Howley, then I, I'll come on to this later, but you know, I then had a fantastic manager in my current role, a guy called Bob Ray. And I think having somebody in your corner who's always pushing you to, you know, say yes or to pick you up when you make a mistake, not afraid to call you out if they think you could be doing things better. I think that's been really formative in my career. And I've been very lucky to have um, had people who I really felt have done that. So I think that's been formative throughout and I guess relatively consistent. So Rob, this, this conversation is going to go in many different places. Let's frame the discussion by talking about what you feel are the most pressing priorities for the modern day CMO of the biggest B2B brands today. Maybe lay out their environment, what their challenges look like, what are the most pressing uh, pressures on the modern CMO of a B2B brand? Well, it's a, it's a difficult job. Um, the CMO nowadays has an incredibly broad range of responsibilities and um, things on their mind that ultimately they have to affect change around. I think the, one of the most fundamental reasons for this is that the audiences in the B2B landscape have changed significantly. So if you think about how B2B used to be kind of orchestrated, it was very much about sort of an offline sales conversation, driving some lead generation and closing deals like that. However, if you fast forward to today, the majority of people involved in a, in a uh, decision-making process, so over 75% of audiences who are involved in buying products and services of B2B companies are under the age of 35. Now, really, that is quite transformational because those people have never not had the red dot on their telephone. They've never not been in a position where they can buy something on Amazon today and get it delivered tomorrow. They're, and they're increasingly being understood and, uh, and served relevant messaging by the, the companies they choose to interact with. So I think the the way the audiences have evolved means that CMOs have to radically rethink um, that kind of end-to-end -end journey in a, in a B2B um, buying cycle. So you think about the implications of that. So the importance of... Um, customer data, first party data, and the orchestration of that information. You know, you have to work out if you really want to truly understand a customer and serve them products and services that are relevant to them, you have to have everything under the iceberg tidied up. You have to have your data orchestrated. You have to have it tax, uh, uh, the, the correct taxonomy. You have to have it stored in the right location. You have to be able to orchestrate all of that information. So the data and technology kind of growth is a significant part of a CMO's job now because ultimately you have to respond to the audiences that are now buying your products and services. The other kind of part of that is your, your brand, of course. Now, your brand nowadays doesn't just stand for what you're creating, what you're selling, or what your product does. Um, the last couple of years in particular 
for all the right reasons has really put at the fore, you know, what your brand stands for. So people's businesses are being scrutinized quite rightly for their supply chains, where they invest profits, the how you hire people, your diversification of products and services. So all of a sudden, a, a CMO's job, which maybe was less um, complex, you know, 10 years ago, is now significantly different than it was. And as a result, it's much broader. And I guess fund- fundamentally, that means that the, the, the bets and the, the decisions that a CMO makes are incredibly important in the B2B cycle. Um, they are often high value, they're risky, and they can be career defining one way or the other. So you've got this changing audience dynamic, you've got a significant growth of um, responsibility, and I guess the decisions and the choices that we make are more important than ever before. So so what does that mean in terms of a modern B2B agency and, and how they deliver against the brief for a modern CMO of a, of a B2B brand? I mean, what I hear you saying is that it's back, old, it's back to the age-old conversation around data and brand building. And it seems as though in the last few years, brand building has in B2B has reemerged as like a really important thing. Um, and, you know, for the first time, I think B2B marketers actually understand that actually there are people that we're selling to um, and that we shouldn't all be driven by data. Maybe you can just riff a little bit on that data versus brand piece and kind of the importance culturally now of brand. And then maybe we can talk about what that means for the modern B2B agency. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, I mean, that's a continual uh, discussion. I mean, how far do you play in the data space? How far do you play in the brand space? And how, how do you kind of connect these things together? I mean, at the heart of any marketing decision is a human being making that choice based on a load of different factors. What they think about a brand or business, what their motivation in their job might be, what the um, audiences who are in that buying cycle, what they're being uh, exposed to. So for us, I think that the, the role of brand is very important. Um, there's a massive shift in the way that the B2B buying journey has evolved. And actually, what you stand for, what you say, and how you attract current customers and new customers into your business is really important. I mentioned before that the way that journeys um, are orchestrated now is that you have to have a, you know, we believe anyway, an omni-channel experience where you can turn up at any particular touch point along a customer journey um, with something that means something to somebody. And if you don't have uh, a crystallized opinion of what your brand stands for, a real understanding of your audience, then that message will just be less powerful, which means as you come through to trying to buy or, or get somebody to convert down a, in the purchase journey, if they haven't already had a good brand experience and know what you stand for, then arguably you sort of wasted your, your efforts. And I think simply put, you know, why is somebody going to pick the phone up or why is somebody going to fill out a form if they don't have a preconception of a positive preconception or a relevant preconception of what the brand is that they are interacting with? So I think back in the day, there was a, 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 a different view, but increasingly in the, the B2B marketing world, uh, brand is something that is pivotal. It's at the forefront, it's at the top table, and it's not going away. Before we talk about Merkel Group specifically, outline for us what you feel have been kind of the most significant changes that have happened in B2B marketing over, let's say, the last 10 years. What, what would you f- say is the most significant changes that have happened in the space? So there's, a, there's the language that people have always talked about is sort of funnel marketing. So the idea that you 
um, bring people into the top of a purchase funnel in a linear way, bring people through to the end of that, pick the phone up, they convert. I think fundamentally that's a huge shift because actually brands need to operate in um, response to customer and consumer habits. So as a result, you have customers nowadays who want to self-serve, they want to buy online, they want to interact on their terms. And in B2B marketing, it's incredibly important to have those omnichannel orchestrated journeys to allow people to do that. Um, buying journeys um, have continued to stay long. There are continuing sort of uh, stakeholders along that journey. And it's a very complex and a highly emotional decision, as I said before, about how people buy products and services. The difference, therefore, is that you can now truly respond to those things. So the idea of connected customer experiences is really important. The idea that you serve um, a brand and a marketing message to somebody, um, maybe when they're sitting watching something, through to a consistent experience to that person when they land on a website. So everything is underpinned through an understanding of the customer and then using the right technology infrastructure to allow you to connect together. But if you don't have that full funnel customer journey approach where you are consistent in what your brand stands for, then you won't be able to deliver on that journey. So there are some things that remain the same in B2B, long purchase journeys, lots of stakeholders, complex buying cycles. Um, but now you can truly do that adage of right message, right time, right place through the use of orchestrated technology. And I think that's the thing that's really exciting. And, and as far as Merkle B2B is concerned, what, what stands out to you as the most notable work that you've delivered to help us bring this to life? Uh, to answer your question, I'll take a step back and talk a little bit about how we've, why we've orchestrated ourselves, how we've set ourselves up, and then hopefully that will make sense into some of the work that we do. So a couple of years ago, we formed a group called Merkle B2B, and that was um, in direct response to where we saw the market moving, what our clients were asking of us. And I guess simply put, the B2B landscape has become increasingly more compl complicated we have lots of different types of people now involved in buying journeys. And as a result, the, the breadth of services and products that our clients are trying to market to customers has become even more, more broad. So we created a group um, that is designed and purpose-built to deliver against a lot of those challenges that our clients are facing. So Merkle B2B is a, is a group that's built on a number of different capabilities that we believe are incredibly important and critical to the modern B2B marketer everything from brand creation through to marketing automation. So we focus very much on creating customer experiences for our clients that are consistent across the customer journey through the use of data and technology, but powered by creativity. And we've been doing some really interesting stuff in this space. So we work with some of the world's um, sort of leading technology companies um, to, to do exactly that. So a good example would be um, we work with Cisco. Cisco are a networking hardware software company that I guess, in essence, invented the internet um, back in the 80s. And we have worked hand in glove with Cisco for the last 18 months to revolutionize the way that they talk about their collaboration software, which is Cisco WebEx. Um, it was a big shift in the way that our communication was pre-pandemic. Um, it, of course, makes sense that we're now talking about collaboration software with, um, with the things that have been going on in the world. But we... Had a had a quite a challenge because we had to create brand 
demand for a product that we hadn't talked about for quite a long time through to making sure that when audiences are looking, they can, they can um, convert and find the information out they want. So we have an orchestrated technology platform that sits underneath all of our work. We have connected uh, digital brand building mechanics such as uh, video tactics and um, social platforms to build brand, um, build brand fame. And then we're able to re-market the same audiences with messages that are relevant to them at a much more kind of conversion part of their journey. So whether that's in paid search, whether that might be um, somewhere else. So we're able to use the power of our group to enable those experiences that we know that our clients need to connect with the modern customer that exists nowadays. Agency Deal Masters is brought to you by Bridge, the growth-focused podcast agency. We help ambitious agencies talk to the right brands through the power of podcasting. Generate leads, win new business, and increase reputation. Check out our clients' podcasts and find more resources to keep learning at bridgegrowth.org. Now, back to the show. And, and let's talk about the, the group in a, in a bit more detail because you've got some monster agencies that you've, you've brought into the, into the group. Gyro, uh, DWA, B2B International. How, how do you... I mean, the list goes. The list goes on. Maybe talk about the this the specialists that you brought into into the group, and then second part of that is how do you bring them all together to make sure that they all play nice and, and deliver results for clients? Because that's been the challenge so far for um, the bigger holding groups. Yeah, sure. So, so I think I, the key philosophy for us is that an agency is built around its clients, and you know we've got to be able to be responsive and adaptive in the world that we're working in now. Um, so we had a vision about four years ago that the future for B2B marketing is going to be a place where you can provide clients with um, individual services for whatever they might need. But if they would like to bring uh, their capabilities together to enable them to have you know, these kind of omnichannel experiences that we're talking about, we, we would be able to do that. So... There's a, a person called Michael McLaren, who's the global CEO of Merkle B2B, and he started this journey about four years ago. And in September 2020, we formally launched Merkle B2B. Now, Merkle B2B, as you mentioned, Nathan, is a, is a combination of a number of different businesses that's been long in the planning. So um, DWA was a global media agency. Gyro was a global creative agency. B2B International is a global market research business. And then when you fuse, fuse that with um, the power of our Merkle organization, which is built on data and technology, um, that we have created a, an end-to-end business called Merkle B2B. Now, to answer your question, the businesses that we have brought together are have, have been all been part of that journey. So there's been uh, stakeholder buy-in from the very start. We've involved our clients on this journey. So when we created our um, sort of integrated global agency a couple of years ago now, um, we had many, uh, we, you know, we had complementary services, we had a, a line leadership team, um, and we've all been pointing in the same direction ever since. So, and re- really it makes sense. Like, as I said, the, the dynamics of the marketplace, the things that we see, the fast currents that uh, are going on, um, all play into helping businesses create um, marketing that's more powerful to the audiences that, that matter to them. Um, and but hopefully in a way that makes it a bit easier. I mean, the last thing a client wants is 
to speak to 10 of me across 10 different agencies. You know, they, ha- they haven't got enough time in the day to do that. So, you know, we're, we're trying to um, bring products and solutions and services together under one roof so that clients can move quicker um, and drive growth and more effective communications. And um, we're not in the land of milk and honey um, by any stretch of the imagination, but if the last couple of years there's anything to go by, um, from an industry perspective and, a, and a, a dynamism of categories in you know what's happening in B2B, um, we certainly think that this is a very relevant, very modern offering. Um, and you mentioned you know other companies, other people are, are some fantastic businesses doing similar things. And um, we see that as a real sign that this is where the, the, the continued direction of travel in this space. So, so what makes you different and, and stand out to some other B2B agencies that, that are out there? We won't name any, any names, but um, what are your clients getting from you that they're not getting from a competing B2B agency? That's a good question. Um, so we've, we've thought a lot about this. And, you know, I was, my, my, the, my background is in consumer, was in consumer marketing. And um, coming into the B2B sector about nearly four years ago now, I've met some of the brightest, most intelligent, um, most strategic people, because I think, and, and I, I mean, in my business and, and outside, because the, from a marketing perspective, B2B marketing is far more complex. I mentioned why before, stakeholders, journey, management, all that kind of stuff. I guess the reason I'm saying that is we have some fantastic um, competitors in our space. And we actually only see that as a good thing because it, raise, it raises the bar of um, you know, the, what we need to deliver day by day. But to answer your question, Nathan, we have, we have thought a lot about well, you know, what makes us different in this space. And I think, you know, we've landed on a few things. So we were we were purpose built to make this happen from the top down. You know, we were a series of companies that already existed. We didn't acquire them to make this uh, this business that exists. These B two B businesses um, were already part of a group, and we were already kind of working together. Um, but we we purpose purposely brought them together as a unified leadership group across those organisations so that we are providing complementary skill sets. And I think being purpose-built right from the start um, has actually only helped our integration and the way that we're fast to market. I mentioned about being fast to market. I think we have increasingly seen, and I've mentioned this, like the, the complexity in the, in the space that we operate in, which really means that clients have less time than ever before. Um, and actually being one integrated group means we can move quickly. We can move from market to region to global deployment really quickly. We don't have to deal with lots of different scopes and MSAs. So actually being able to move consistently and quickly um, with our global scale, I think is really important. The thing that we, if I was to, to focus on another thing that I think that makes us quite uniquely different is we do have the capability across a number of different practice areas to deliver um, really at sort of standout through the line um, experiences across the entire spectrum of the B2B um, customer journey. And at, at the heart of what we do, we place creativity. Um, and I don't mean just making ads or making content, but we have um, created our a, a sort of a, a, a central creative and strategic team that sits across our group that encourages people in our business to consider how they could use different things that are on the shelf of our, of our agency to best solve their problem. So let's say an account director in our media business recognizes that there's a uh, a big gap with one of our clients' audience understanding and knowledge. 
then that person can speak is actively encouraged to speak to somebody in our market research business to bring those people into the discussion and then to work as part of our response to a client a particular problem by bringing in other, other solutions and services and we don't put costs or PLs in the way of that we actually just encourage people across our business to do that so we use this term of um, agency as a service you know a bit like SaaS. the idea that you can flexibly spin up and down our services we don't put any kind of process in the way of that with our clients right um and that's having benefit all over the place the majority of our clients now have um, are working in integrated ways across a number of our practice areas that they weren't doing before. But also for our people, you know, they're telling us that they're enjoying and getting more and they're learning more because they're kind of becoming much more broader in their capability. So as I said, like a media account director might have their kind of their mainstay in media, but they're starting to get exposed to other parts of the marketing ecosystem that we deliver, which, you know, is only helping helping with their growth and ultimately the, the work that we do for our clients. Tell us a little bit more about the ambition of the agency of the next, let's say, five to six years. So who knows where we're going to be in five or six years? Could be in the moon, certainly in the metaverse, <laughs> won't we? <laughs> um, <laughs> Facebook have anything to do with it, yeah. Well, absolutely, yeah. Um, so I mentioned before, I think uh, at, sort of at, at, at the base of it, we are really clear that we're here, here to orientate around what our customers and our clients need. Um, so we listen to them all the time. So that's why we did what we did um, and why we operate in the way that we operate. Things I've just mentioned. We have um, expertise in a number of different spaces right now. I mentioned, you know, creative, media, market research, data and technology, marketing automation. Um, And to answer your, your question, Nathan, in part, one of the things that we've recently built with real capability and scale is a B2B commerce practice. Um, this, this didn't exist a year ago. It now exists. Um, and it's really, it really exists because our clients are saying, hey, look, you know, we're going to need to look at the whole customer journey. We need to start looking about how we can interact with our customers more directly. Can you help us through, you know, consult about commerce through to potentially standing up a site and managing that whole platform? So that's a good evolution, I think, of where our businesses come directly through customer and client feedback. Where will be in five or six years? It's a very good question. I think my, my personal belief is we'll continue to see more integration. Um, we'll continue to see more focus on automation of our clients' platforms using um, the sort of alliance technology, whether it's Adobe or whether it's Salesforce. Um, but I'm a firm believer in the power of creativity and brands. And in a world where, if you think about Amazon, you know, it's a slightly different sector, I, I, I understand, but the role of brand is becoming more important because you can click and buy in a second. And actually the thing that starts to differentiate products and services is what a brand means to somebody. So I think we'll see more integration, more automation, but we'll see increasingly importance placed on the role of what a brand means to our audiences. Because, you know, if you don't have that, then you just become a race to the bottom of price. So I think that's a, that's a real step forward. So let's talk about your role as CEO. You became group CEO in January 2021. Tell us a little bit more about your remit and how have you d- delivered against that brief? We have to ask my boss if I've delivered against it. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, I see my role as um, the person who has to make everybody feel like they know that the bus they're sitting on, that they continue to be inspired every day to keep moving things forward, and that uh, everybody feels like they have 
a place that fits in our organization. Yeah, there's all the commercial stuff, you know, got to deliver the numbers and all that kind of stuff. But I see myself as somebody who has to orchestrate, you know, running a business so that we continue to move forward. I feel like as a as the leader of, a, of any company, you have to have a really clear, steadfast vision on where you're heading. You have to be transparent, but you also have to make sure that, you know, you keep moving on that journey. I often talk to people about, you know, you've got to keep looking up. You, if you look down at your feet, you know, you'll kind of just, you'll, you'll step over. You have to keep looking up. So I see my job as trying to keep everyone's heads up and moving forward. Mm. Um, I'm also incredibly lucky that I work with um, a large number of incredibly talented, very experienced people um, who run the different kind of practice areas within our organization, who know far more than I do half the time about what they do. So I think it's the job of keeping people um, together, pointing in the same direction. And then it's, I talk to people about advertiser advertising. You know, I think we have to keep saying to people what we're doing, keep reminding them that every day they come into the office, the job they're here to do, the impact that they have, um, and ultimately grow kind of the next generation of our, our business, both in capability and in people. And I think if I look back on the last few years, you know, the, the growth and development of a lot of our, you know, what were more junior people into pretty senior people now is something I'm really proud of. And I think, you know, there was, um, there's a book, you know, people talk, it's good to great by Jim Collins. People talk about, you know, get people on the bus and then work out where you're heading. And I've, and I've always kept that in my mind of get the good people on the bus, keep making sure those people feel like they're moving in the right direction. Don't let them forget um, where that direction is, you know, and what we're focused on as, you know, clients and next generation B2B services, changing the game. And um, I figure if we do that, and, and my role is making sure that all happens, then, um, you know, we will continue to, to make positive impact in our industry. I need to ask you some questions about how you get good people on the bus and how you get them to, to stay, because that's, that's the, the key differentiator between the good and the great, right? It's, it's getting and keeping amazing talent. That's a whole nother podcast by itself, by the way. Um, but I'm sure that's something that you've got some strong opinions on. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the cultural movements in, in, in the last few years, specifically when it comes to diversity in the workplace and, um, and diversity of all different um, kinds and wider purpose as well, that so many other agencies and, and, and businesses are becoming far more focused on purpose and mission and values over and above bottom line and, and profit. While those things are important, uh, a lot of agencies acknowledge that there are other reasons why um, they're doing what they're doing. Talk about the importance of d diversity and inclusion in the workplace and how do you think about that at Merkel B2B and how, how are you approaching it? It's probably one of the most, if not the most important thing that we think about and not, not to pay lip service to that phrase. Um, it's a responsibility of any organization and frankly, any friendship or relationship as far as I'm concerned, that everybody feels like they belong. Everybody has a place. Everybody can be, be, you know, be who they want to be. And if you ever feel that you aren't, then I think you're failing, as I said, in, in, a, in a personal situation or a professional situation. So that's really what diversity means to me and means to us. So it's about belonging. You can come and be whoever you want to be and you, know, you feel safe and you feel protected and you feel welcome. And I think we do an awful lot to encourage and forge that. Um, you know, as, as Merkel B2B, as Merkel, as Dentsu, 
there are a vast number of initiatives and focus in this space. You know, everything from the way that we hire through to, you know, auditing everything around our uh, representation, you know, our, our pay, our people at certain leveling, all the things that you would potentially expect a, a corporate like us to do, reverse mentoring schemes and everything else. So there's all, all those areas. What we've also done is, I think, which is a personal belief of mine, that you've got to make people believe and feel that what they're doing can actually have a real day-to-day impact. So all those initiatives that I just mentioned are critical to our organisation and are an ongoing journey. But we've also taken it one stage further. So for example, in our business, we have created what we've called a shadow board. So we have um, a group of people who are earlier into their careers, who are a group of people who are different in every sense, um, including where they work within our organisation. And their responsibility is to be the voice of the agency to you know, create and affect meaningful change. So those people meet up once a month, they audit and speak to their peers and colleagues, they feed that information to the board of our business, and we commit to making change and action based on that. Um, a good example recently has been about sustainability and encouraging people to take their volunteering days together around causes that we uniquely feel are relevant just to this group of people because everybody's different so i think you know that that's it's such a broad topic and there's so much as i said everyone's on a journey i just think it's really important that you recognize the things that happen at a sort of a macro level but then you take it down to an individual like how can i today make a difference and how do i feel like i'm being listened to and i think if we keep doing those things we'll keep um making progress on this journey because we're, we're far from where we need to be but um, I think we recognise it's something that, you know, is a really, really important evolution in the way that we work now. Well said. L- last question, Rob, before we get into our favourite questions at the end of the interview that we ask everyone. In, in your history as a, as a leader in this industry, what, what strikes you as the most emotionally stressful episode in your career and what did you learn from it? It's a good question. I, th- I think it would be difficult to veer away from the start of the pandemic. Because I think everything before that paled relatively into insignificance. You know, going through my career, I've had ups and downs of bad pitches or, you know, a piece of work that wasn't very good. But actually, when the pandemic struck and I was responsible for an agency that had a large number of people, I mean, that was a a really, really difficult time. You know, I think personally, it was very difficult, like it was for all of us. I've got two children and... My wife and I were at home. It was incredibly hard. You had to pivot um, ways of working overnight. But then we had, you know, individuals and, and clients who were really struggling in every sense. And I genuinely, you know, if, if you put anything, I think, at the heart of what I think real leadership's all about, it's, it's genuinely caring about the things that you do, both in terms of your output of your organisation, like your clients, but also the people that fundamentally make that happen. Because in an agency, you're not selling toothbrushes or guitars you are you know you're selling ideas and you're you're selling people and I think so at the start of the pandemic it was it was it was really difficult um we (laughs) you know we didn't know what we were doing um I don't think anybody really did and I think what really um it was incredibly difficult and as I said like it was for everybody but the thing that really got me through that I think we are closer more connected now than as a result of that is we got together all the time we talked and shared, um, and we've carried on some of those traits now. So one wonderful thing that we did, probably didn't feel that wonderful at the time, is um, 
you know, when you walk into the office on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday, you know, you go in the office, you'd have a cup of tea and you chat to somebody about what you did last night or what you're going to watch on telly. And we thought those water cooler moments are so important. So we introduced a initiative called the 915s, where everybody dialed on at 915 every morning for 10 minutes and a different person in the agency just spoke about anything they wanted to. You know, people might speak about where they were from. I can remember this person presenting about um, they were from Pakistan and like the, the beautiful, like the beauty of Pakistan that I'd never seen. Or there was a chap who was a chef in his part time. You know, you, you learn more about these people than ever before. And it, it definitely brought us closer as a group. And we've maintained that. So now we do what we call a Monday morning connect. So it's once a week um, on a Monday morning, funnily enough. But we do exactly the same thing. Only last week we had a chap talk about uh, DJing. Uh, a few months ago, we had one of our leaders talk about the menopause. Um, someone's been talking about like, you know, they talked about themselves and their children and that stressful time that can't be underestimated. I think there've been so many difficult things that have come out of it that, you know, in a world where culture and connection and, and turnover of staff and all those kind of things you mentioned, anyone, Nathan, are, are critical. Those sorts of things where we've connected as groups of people and maintain that connection have been really, really powerful, I think, to, to kind of keep people connected. I, and, I, and I hope that people are more open and connected with each other than they were before as well. And, that, and that's a really good point, actually, because uh, while the pandemic has been devastating in, in many ways, it's done a lot to really improve company culture. I think across the board, it's brought people together in, in unprecedented ways. Culture is one of those, those funny words in agency land and in, in <laughs> with companies as well. It's this amorphous thing that really we can't define. We all say that we have a great culture and um, and that we want to improve our culture. But what does that actually mean for you, for Merkel, you know, the CEO of Merkel B2B? What does culture mean to you? How do you define it? And could you describe what the culture is internally at, at Merkel B2B? So I know what culture isn't. It isn't fancy sofas and free suites and all that kind of stuff. I think... Um, I think culture is about fundamentally caused by people. It's it's about the respect people have for each other. It's about the interaction people have with each other. It's about the vibe of somewhere. So I think my view on the word culture is less about what it is. It's how you kind of create it. It's a difficult thing to pin down. But I would say if you've got a group of people who want to work with each other, who get on with each other, who have a unified sort of purpose and reason for being who help each other out when the chips are down and who celebrate when things go well together I think that's really what culture is all about and I think that's why hybrid working is really important like I'm a massive advocate of hybrid working so being at home is wonderful you know I spend my Mondays and Fridays at home now for different kind of professional reasons which I can touch on if you'd like me to (laughs) but I go into the office three days a week Tuesday Wednesday Thursday and um, recently we said to everybody in our business, hey, look, you know, hybrid working is down to you. We said we're encouraging people to come back in the office, not because you need to do, be in the office to do your job and not because it's about presenteeism, but because that's what culture is. Like when you come in with each other and you have a laugh over a cup of tea in the morning or you help someone else out or you, yeah, that's, it's about connections. And and, and I think since we've done that and we, we put the responsibility back onto teams to say, well, how do you want to define your ways of working? What do you want your culture to be? We've seen a significant uptick in people in the office. We are creating reasons to come in. Um, we're doing events and socials and all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and we're helping people learn and develop as well. So 
I don't think culture is a thing. It's, it's it's sort of intangible and difficult to define. I think it's like an ethos and a way of working that's ultimately defined by the people that are in the company rather than somebody like me. Um, I think it's just, it's important for someone like me to embody it, I think, but it's not for me to mandate like what it is or, or, or how, to, how it should be. I know I've only got you for a few more minutes, Rob, so let's jump into everyone's favourite questions. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests, so I'm super excited to ask you some of them as well. I'm just going to ask some of these at random so you don't know which ones are coming. Let's start with what's the most interesting thing that people don't know about Rob Gold? Uh, what's the most interesting thing people don't My first job was on a milk float. Oh. Uh, <laughs> So that was, I went from milk float to media, uh, maybe. <laughs> um, my dad's retired now, but he was, um, he ran a company that was responsible for um, residential care for adults with severe learning difficulties, um, which when I was younger, my brothers and I've got three brothers, we used to go in to visit all of the, the people in, um, in the homes and spend time with them, autism, Down syndrome, all that kind of stuff. And I think I, I have a real conviction for like, caring about people, understanding people, doing what you say you're going to do. And I think I was brought up in a way that was very much about making sure that you respect everybody, regardless of their walk of life. And and also realising that if you're in a position where you can help affect change in other places, then you should do that. And I think I'm hoping that that, that starts to manifest a bit in um, in the way that we work now. So worked on a milk float <laughs> and had nice parents. I think that's probably uh, probably two things. In the last three to five years, what ideas, behaviours or habits have you added or removed from your life that have improved your outcomes? So I talk to people about this. I think as much to try and um, encourage or demonstrate that it's okay to work however you want to work. So I think I reckon the best example of that, Nathan, is to talk about how the way that I run my kind of week. And let's call this best intentions because things always change. But the pandemic, as we said, changed lots of things, but it kind of gave us all what we were craving for, I think, which is flexibility. So the way that I orchestrate my week now is it really helps me in my personal life and my professional life. And I'm, and I'm hoping my colleagues as well. So Mondays I'm at home, I check in, we plan for the week, we look at clients, we think about what's happening. We really focus on like what we're going to do in the next four, five, six days, looking down about making a difference. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I go in the office and you do all the stuff that that encompasses. You meet clients, I do work, I meet my teams, we kind of orchestrate lots of different things and we, and we make progress. And then on Fridays, um, I spend the day at home. In the morning, I um, I put all of my one-to-ones together. And I so in the morning, every Friday morning for two hours, I go walking on the telephone and I do my one-to-ones. Oh, brilliant. And I have to, instead of spreading them out across the week, it's one of the best parts of my week for two reasons. One is I'm in the fresh air talking and also I'm not doing two things at once. I'm actually totally in the conversation, concentrating on the person that I'm talking to. And then Friday afternoons, I think about the future and I think about like what else should we be doing and what tricks are we missing and what should we be developing and where do I need to place my time? So, and previously Monday to Friday was just this car crash of, you know, trying to do all that stuff. Just responding to fires. (laughs) Yeah. So as I said, it's not, it's not perfect, but I think that's a behavior that I, um, I think is, it, it, it helps with my um, clearing my head, but making sure that hopefully our organization, organization runs in the way that it should do and also gives me a bit of time sometimes in the fresh air. So it's, um, you know, it's a that's win-win. Def- definitely, yeah, win-win for sure. Love that. Last couple of questions and then I'll, I'll let you go. What advice would you give to a young person or millennial who wants to start their career in a B2B agency? 
just say yes all the time. Um, I I don't think you can be too kind of put too many sort of broad guardrails around it. I think if you put somebody who's got curiosity and infectious enthusiasm and a, a desire to understand like new dynamics and audiences and different purchase behaviors and all that kind of stuff, I would just say yes to anything somebody asks you. Um, obviously within reason time-wise, but never limit yourself because I think the opportunity in our in our in our industry right now to do things differently that haven't been done before, to learn in new ways. And um, I'm sure that our competitors operate in this way too. Just you know, just just say yes to anything that people want to uh, are asking you to help with, and it will undoubtedly help your career and 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 it make you enjoy your job. Absolutely love that. And my final question, Rob: What does it you know about B two B marketing today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career on the milk round? <laughs> on the milk round. I, well, it's not the same. So I, the last couple of years has totally changed my perception of dynamic marketing, like regardless of whether you're in consumer or business marketing. I think if the one thing I would tell myself 20 years ago would be don't dismiss something because you think something about it. So, um, you know, B2B has historically had a reputation of being laggardy and it is not the case. It is the most dynamic um, sector that I think exists with the most interesting challenges working with some of you know, these companies make the world go round and you know they are huge and they they you, know, you have to look at the outcome of what AWS do or what Cisco do to realize that you touch this stuff without even without even knowing it's the guardrails of the world <laughs> it really is it really is so I think I, uh, I don't don't listen to other people find out for yourself and um, you know jump into anything new mm, absolutely love it Rob, thank you so much for doing this. No worries, Nathan, it's been great. Thanks for um, having the chat and having me on. We have been speaking with Rob Gold. He is currently the UK CEO of Merkle B2B. Head over to agencydealmasters.com and sign up to our weekly newsletter for exclusive subscriber-only content not shared on the main feed. Follow us on LinkedIn and send me a message there if you want to get in touch. We would be unable to do this show without our very own dealmasters. Tyler Baller is our booker. Christoph Borascek is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters. You were listening to Agency Dealmasters, brought to you by Bridge, the growth-focused podcast agency 